0: The following is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action on anything being discussed, consult your medical doctor. Welcome to Heart Health with board certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Wiefold. Heart Health is a local call in health show designed to educate and inform you of the most up to date information for not only maintaining a healthy heart, but a healthy body. Call us with your health questions at 919 860 9783.
1: This is Heart Health on the Heart Health Radio Network. I'm Dave Alexander. We are live and in person, two of the best ways to uh, broadcast, from the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills. And
2: as you know, with me right now is Dr. Franklin Weefald. Hello, sir. Hello. It's a beautiful day. It's nice to be outside. It is. Broadcasting. I haven't had any wine yet, of you? No, I have not. In it's fact, it's too early in the morning.
1: Well, no, not for some people. I mean, they're tasting. You know, yeah. it's now afternoon. I think that people did Awkwardly come directly from church, you know, to the wine festival. You got to have your priorities.
2: Absolutely. And, and what well, we're well, going to you know, talk the about? The Catholics it. probably had wine at church. That's right. Sacrament. A lot of people yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: so we're going to uh, we're going to talk about the opioid crisis. There's some news in that. We're going to talk about Legionnaires' disease. Also talk about wine. We got fake news scheduled up, but you're going to tell me that wine is not. Um, it's not a negative. it's a a. It's positive. A very much
2: a positive. I mean, the biggest thing about wine that we need to know is that throughout history, I mean, it started with the monks. They started making wine and making it a regular part of their daily life. And what happened? They lived longer. Now, that may be because they also, they didn't have a lot of negative habits. But there's something in red wine called resveratrol. Okay. And people are actually taking this as a supplement. I'm not so sure it's been proven that resveratrol in red wine. Resveratrol. Res, R-E-S-V-E-R-A-T-R-O-L. It's a chemical compound that some plants actually produce to fight off bacteria. It also protects against UV radiation. It comes from the skin. So the big difference between red and white wine is the skin. So, people think it's white grapes versus red grapes. That's actually not true. The red wine comes from fermenting with the skin, and the skin is where the resveratrol is. So, a lot of things can and have been shown to be beneficial from the resveratrol.
1: Okay, so, so, you know, at the top of the show, we aired this announcement saying, always consult your doctor. So, I'm going to consult my doctor right now,
2: red or white. Uh, I would say that there's more definite proven benefits from red wine red wine okay. and i think it has to do with the skin and the resveratrol in the skin although again this is not proven these are potential benefits but if you look at the history of those countries france italy germany where they drink a lot of red wine yeah they tend to have a lower risk of heart attack now is that genetic we don't know we haven't pulled out from the studies, what's the contribution of red wine, what's the contribution of genetic. But clearly those countries where they drink a lot of red wine, they they do show a a lower risk of high blood pressure, a lower risk of heart attack, and a lower risk of stroke. So if you look at what resveratrol does, it can change your gut microbiome, the, the type of bacteria. And we've talked about this before in terms of obesity. If you get the right good kind of bacteria in your gut, It seems that you're going to be less obese. It raises the level of omega-3 in your bloodstream. So that's also a good thing. That's the fish oil. And so when you drink wine, no matter where your sources of omega-3 is, it seems to raise that level, and that seems to be the resveratrol effect. Now, type 2 diabetes, there seems to be a moderate decrease in the amount of the glucose in your system, if you have type 2 diabetes, that's also a positive really? effect. But the other thing that is sort of near and dear to my heart as a cardiologist, it seems to produce healthy blood vessels. They, they are not as stiff. They seem to not take up as much cholesterol in their arteries. So I think that's another big thing. But one of the things that resveratrol has also been shown is to reduce the brain damage that we see after strokes. So I really do recommend. now. Red wine. But the thing is, this has got to be moderate. A moderate intake. We're yeah. talking one to two glasses of red wine per night, not ten. Now, funny thing is, I tell my yeah. patients to drink one or two glasses of red wine a night. Yes. I came into the ER. A very favorite patient of mine several years ago was drunk as a skunk. Oh, no. So I went up to him and I said, did you do my recommendations on wine? He's, I said, two a night. Two a night. And they said, yeah, but I saved them up for a week. It <laughs> had 14. Now, I did that, that in college. Count. Yes, yes, I did You've that in you got college, to yeah. realize it's daily moderation. Because being drunk is bad for you. We talked about that. We talked about the stress of that leading to the really atrial is. fibrillation, which we talked with Dr. Trevko last week. So, resveratrol, the skins of grapes in wine, fermented... Okay. Can lead to all these potential help.
1: And let me just slide in that today, if you want to taste some wines and then later buy them, this is an excellent opportunity. You yeah. get, you come in, you get a band on your arm or on your wrist, and, and you can go to booth to booth to booth and test out wines. No, I have not yet done that, but you can go booth to booth to booth. Then you purchase. And by the way, there's one area where you actually pick up the wine. And we're right next to there. So if you want to stop down between now, I think we'll uh,
2: we'll hold off while we're broadcasting. I I, probably a good idea. Maybe
1: you can tell there's some great pop music in the background. There's entertainment and wine testing at the North Carolina. You know,
2: they have these kind of festivals all the time. They have in the spring and summer. They have farmers markets. They have concerts here. This is um, a credit union. Um, I think it's the state employees credit union has sponsored this... Carolina Daniel, Coastal Predator. Carolina Coast. Excuse me. Please forgive me. That's all right, dude. But it's great. And I live <laughs> in the building um, right across the street. You do? And it's great. Yeah, I live in the Park and Market. And it's uh, a great place to live. There are restaurants close by. There are shops right across Six Forks Road. I highly Excellent. recommend people come down here and visit. Okay. The
1: opioid crisis, as it turns out, yeah. the news of this week was that... As much as people are saying doctors are prescribing these opioids and people are dying of opioid overdoses, the statistics don't bear it out exactly like that. So
2: I'm really glad that the uh, people in Massachusetts who did this study were very thorough. Again, doctors are under attack. Um, I think one of the prevailing... Attitudes in the media today is you don't blame the victims, you, you call them victims. You don't mm-hmm. blame the people who overdose. You have to find a, a societal group of people and blame them. Mm-hmm. So we're under a great deal of scrutiny. It's very scary because you could lose your license if the medical board says you're overprescribing. Yeah, and and they want to be able to say they've kicked out these bad doctors because then the press get. You know, will reduce the pressure on the medical boards. And that's just not North Carolina. It's all over. So the question is, are the doctors responsible? And they looked at all the opioid overdoses in Massachusetts. And guess what it turned out to be? The vast majority were using heroin and fentanyl, 60 to 70 percent. Now, there were a group of patients who overdosed on prescription drugs such as the the, per, the favorite, Percocet. Yeah. The reason why oxycodone, when in, inhaled in your nose, goes straight to your brain. It's yeah. apparently a better high. So what is the problem? These people are buying it off the street. Right. Now, there could be a problem in overprescribing by doctors because they're prescribing them to people who don't need them right. and who are selling them on the street. So I think there is about 10% of the overdose victims are actually taking oxycodone, grinding it up the Percocets, and snorting it up their nose, and having overdoses.
1: And two things. Number one, that's not what the prescription says, Right. so don't do it. I mean, you know, everybody, don't do that. But can you really hold the medical field responsible for heroin overdoses? Do you ever write a prescription for heroin?
2: No. You'd never have never. written a... Never. Okay. It, it's not even available as a drug. It used to be. And you know, okay. these drugs used to be available in drug stores sure. over the counter. Yep. Up until in the 1900s, there was a huge amount of overdoses. I think the big lesson for this for doctors, only 1.3% of overdose victims actually had a prescription for Percocet or hydrocodone, which is also called Norco or Vicodin. Right. Right. So it's very rare that a patient who's getting a legal prescription for a doctor and who is actually taking it will overdose. So we have to be careful. One of the things that, that I do, in, gui- in accordance with the guidelines from the medical board, is I have to have extreme proof in MRI, a, a, a list of studies that show this patient has chronic pain. I won't prescribe it otherwise. I don't start teenagers on any narcotic agents because that's when the brain can get... Um, remodeled and the targets for opioid addiction happen. Those people can do, those, those young adults can do very well on a combination of a non steroidal anti-inflammatory agent like Aleve or, or Advil plus yeah. Tylenol. And that combination has been shown by dentists yeah. to be just as effective as Percocet in managing chronic pain. Now, I have a lot of patients who've worked hard all their lives. Their backs are a mess. They've had previous surgery. Yeah. And the only way they can function is with an opioid um, uh, prescription. And it works. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of, of talk in the press nowadays that chronic opioids don't work for chronic pain. That is not true. I've seen it. Now, they say, well, it's because they get relaxed and their brains get um, uh, used to this concept of, of having an opioid in their system. Well, so what? Whatever the mechanism is, it works. And so you have to be very careful. You have to screen them. And the way that you can screen them to know that they're not selling it Is to get a urine test once every couple of months. Yeah. You can actually tell the number they're taking by the amount that's in their urine. And have I suspended patients, kicked them out because it didn't show up? Sure I have. Good for and you. And that's the way that you screen to prevent your opioid prescriptions from getting into the public as an illicit illegal drug. All
1: right, this is but. Heart Health with Dr. Franklin Weefald, who I just interrupted, sorry. Um, HeartHealthRadio.com is our website. You can go to that. You could also, if you missed the first couple of minutes of this show or you missed last week's show, you go to uh, Apple Podcasts podcast. or WPTF and then look for the word pota- podcast in the top of the website. Click on that and you're you're all set. Um, to listen to the previous shows. Call up now to be a part of it, even though we are at the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills. Fake news coming up. You won't believe where where they want us to get milk. a new superfood. It food. is the
2: craziest thing I've ever heard.
1: Well, it, it, sometimes I open the Internet and I say, No, people are now making things up just to make the show. And you just won't really, you're not going to believe what kind of milk they want us to drink uh, in fake news coming up on Heart Health Radio on WPTF. You're
3: fraud, you're a fake, and you are lying through your teeth. You're irrelevant, malevolent, and weak. You're flying news.
1: We just can't trust, including well, okay. this one about a superfood of the future.
2: Cockroach milk. Now, can you believe it? <laughs> okay, we have so much dairy products available to get those healthy proteins. Yes. You know, and, and you know the weightlifters, the whey protein that they use, that's derived from milk, okay? Right. So why do we need to milk a cockroach?
1: First of all, the logistics of it uh, concern me, but I don't want to get into it.
2: Well, here's what they say. They say it's a superfood. Now, they're always talking about superfoods, right? Kale. Have you ever eaten kale? I tried, yes. Uh, No, no way. So this is the Institute of Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine in India. Now, they eat cow dung in India. Now, they're going to eat cockroach milk? Now... Obviously, you don't have you one don't of those milk. machines small enough to get under a cockroach. And no, milk no, it. no. You've got to do it manually. So, what they're going to do is spend millions of dollars to sequence the gene that makes these cockroach milk proteins. Yes. And then yes. turn them into a product. Now, you tell me, what would they have to name it for you to drink it? They would have to call it know. Elixir of the Gods.
1: Yes, they would. And they yes. would have
2: to prove that it's better than milk. And yet there's these screaming stories now appealing to the millennials to not eat regular food. Right. But we're going to eat this super purified protein from a cockroach. And you know why? Why? Because cockroaches are the only animals that have been proven to survive nuclear war.
1: Sure. They never die.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you, if you explode an H-bomb... Here on top of our heads, yes. The cockroaches about a mile away are going to survive sure. and take over the world. So why not eat cockroach milk? Crazy.
1: That, that is crazy. But it's you crazy. will
2: see that in your
1: timeline on Facebook this week. How about the one about uh, five foods that will
2: clear my arteries? The what food? Five, five oh, foods. The five foods. Okay. The five foods they claim that will cure your arteries. We'll just talk about one, and that's almonds. Okay. Yeah that almonds don't do it. I mean, you're never going to cure your arteries with just food. There is only one food-based system that will cure you. The problem is you can't eat anything that you want to eat. It's called a diet that was developed by (laughs) Dean Ornish. Now, Dean Ornish is the one who convinced... Um, Steve Jobs did not have his pancreatic cancer treated, which was curable. He went on this Ornish diet. It's the the number one thing, which is also in this article, seaweed. Now, you eat a bunch of seaweed, you eat a bunch of lentils, you eat a bunch of other stuff. And I will say this. It's the only thing that has proven to absolutely eliminate the cholesterol buildup. In the arborist to your heart. But are you going to do it? Seaweed? You're going to need psychiatric help, and that's what they have. They have these support groups that they sit around and talk about how miserable they are eating seaweed, yeah. and yet they support themselves. So if you see on Facebook, you got to eat these foods and they'll cure your heart, yeah. it is to the exclusion of every single thing else you can eat.
1: Well, if the other thing that I was going to eat was like a whole box of donuts, wouldn't seaweed be a better
2: alternative? Uh, A better alternative if you can stand it. Sure. I've eaten seaweed. Yeah. And it is disgusting. Okay. And it's just awful. And And then they say, you'll get used to it. Okay, You'll get used to chomping on seaweed. Right. Why do they call these things comfort foods? Seaweed is not a a a comfort food. And it will not help you live your life because you'll be miserable. And we all know that stress and misery will lead to heart problems because of the elevated stress hormones the adrenaline the epinephrine and i can guarantee you if you measure somebody's stress hormones when they eat seaweed and almonds, it's going <laughs> to be awful
1: even even if it's on a salad and you've got white wine or red
2: wine next to it but you can't eat anything else. you
1: can't eat it no yeah. you shouldn't. i mean you know you yeah. want
2: that pork chop forget about it <laughs> and that's the problem
1: okay there's a, there's a news story about a common blood pressure treatment that might not help you okay. effectively.
2: So it, what you're gonna, this is from NoRidge K-N-O-W-R-I-D-G-E. Right. I, they're one of my favorite people to get fake news. And this may seem like a good study. What they did was they looked at people who were on a very simple blood pressure medication, hydrochlorothiazide. One dose dropped their blood pressure. Now this is a medicine that just gets rid of extra sodium and sodium, and those people who are prone to have high blood pressure, yeah. will raise their blood pressure. Then they looked at the people who were on other medications, multiple medications, such as the ACE inhibitors, lisinopril, the beta blockers yeah. like metoprolol. They had a higher risk of developing heart trouble. Yeah. But here's the problem: it was one of those look behind studies that looked at people who'd already been treated with these things and followed them. They didn't follow them forward, they followed them backwards. Now, what do you think? If a patient's blood pressure is controlled on a simple low-dose diuretic, they are not as sick. They don't have as much potential for heart disease as someone whose blood pressure needs to be controlled on these other medications. So they claim that if you take the hydrochlorothiazide only, you're going to have... A lower risk of heart disease. What you're going to have is uncontrolled blood pressure yeah. if you have all these other risk factors. So don't ask your doctor to switch you off the ACE inhibitors or calcium channel blockers that you need to be on because you're going to get hurt. Right. If, however, you have very mild hypertension and you don't have a lot of risk factors, that's the medicine to go for originally, and that's all the studies say. And, and it just takes sugar out
1: or salt out of you.
2: Yeah, cut back on salt. Now, and you to back Nobody can on salt. go without any salt. Okay, so if you cut back on the shaker, you're still going to have salt in your diet. Sure. If you eat processed meat, like bologna, that's made with salt. Ham, biscuits, the sure. way they become fluffy is through sodium bicarbonate. That's yeah. the salt. So you've got to be careful when you say, I don't use the shaker. If you can cut back on the intake of ham... Your intake of biscuits. You know what people don't also realize? It's in canned soup. It's in yes. it's in a lot of different products. Oh, now, I
1: got a beat. I got a beat. Here's how. Here's how I avoid all that salt. Tell in, me. I take the can of soup and I put it in there, and it says to put one can of water in. Yeah. I put a can and a quarter. Okay. So I put just a little. I could, no. I just eat the whole thing, but I still. Elizabeth is on line one on News Radio 680 WPTF. Elizabeth. We got about two minutes. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi.
3: Hi. How are you? Hi, am you. you. I, would, I, would I would
1: think think you. I
3: was looking to possibly recommend, recommend, recommend some, some type of remediation for people who suffer from atrial regulation, but who also, also have back pain, fib. A fib and back pain. I'm a- um, um, reluctant to provide any type of medication. So you're asking if your
2: back pain can be associated with atrial fibrillation, is that right? Right, right. Well, let me tell you, the the only way that I can see it is if your atrial fibrillation has led to a stroke where a blood clot has gone out of the heart and into an artery that feeds the blood to your back and your spine. That's possible. It's heard of. Tell me, describe your back pain. Well, I have have lower lower
3: back, back pain.
2: Yeah. And have you had it evaluated by your doctor? Yes, yes. And what do they say? So,
3: well, so, well, well, it first, but might my kidney, kidney, uh, type, of infection, infection or, or some type, or some type of disease, disease. But, but uh, uh, I have had several sounds that did, that did, that did not, not to be to be the mm-hmm. case. So uh, I just, I just wonder if, if any, any of those catch uh, uh, or anything like that was not of my INR. I am I am on
1: Warfarin, she said. Yeah.
2: Are you taking the Warfarin or are you taking one of those newer blood center agents?" I'm taking taking the Warfarin. Yeah, that's a tough one. The other thing that could cause back pain in somebody on Warfarin, and I'm not sure that you have it, it's called a retroperitoneal hematoma. And that's because your blood is not clotting as much. And rarely you can get bleeding in the muscles of the back called the psoas muscle. I've seen this. It's a cause of severe back pain. It's usually not a cause, but it could be a cause of chronic back pain. All right,
1: Elizabeth, hold on. We're going to carry this over after the news, and we'd love to talk with you more about this. This is Heart Health Radio.
0: Now back to Heart Health with Dr. Franklin Weefold on AM680 WPTF. WPTF.
1: This is Heart Health. I'm Dave Alexander. Dr. Franklin Weefald is here, and we are talking with Elizabeth. Well, first of all, let's explain why there's it's so noisy here in the studio. We're not in the studio. We're at the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills. We'd love to have you come out and enjoy the entertainment. Uh, do some wine tasting if you feel that you wish to. You, If you heard the first segment of the show, you've got permission from the doctor to have a sip or two of wine. We're on with Elizabeth, who has two things going on at once. One is back issues, some back pain, and the other is, I think, AFib, if I remember correctly. Absolutely.
2: AFib and back pain. Elizabeth, did we
1: did we say it correctly? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So so what is your question specifically?
3: Well, I think I'd like know, know if any type of my might be able to get, perhaps, perhaps, one of the... Pain, uh, uh, patches something like, something like that, that, that not not in, 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 in,
1: IN my, my INR. Alright, she's asking about patches and she says that it,
2: something oh, would
1: conflict with her INR. That's R. a
2: good idea. Okay, yeah. so if you have chronic back pain like most people do, and not due to the bleeding problems or the stroke problems I talked about, which are very rare. Right. Um, you can get an icy hot patch with lidocaine, and I've got some patients who seem to get relief from that. The thing that I think works very well in terms of a patch is a lidocaine patch. It's made um, to infuse lidocaine through your skin directly to the nerves in your back. That will not, in most cases, affect your INR. Now, the INR, what's that? That's the measurement of how effective the warfarin is in preventing clots. So, normally, our INR is 1.0. That's the ratio of what your um, your uh, blood thinning is to what you're currently what it should be to what you currently are. so Elizabeth should have about 2.0 to 2.5 to prevent strokes. What you do with this lidocaine patch is you put it directly over the area where you're hurting. Right. And I would, however, in the rare instance that it raises your blood your blood anticoagulation level, is go ahead and just have your doctor measure it. Usually, right. most all the time, it doesn't affect it. Now, here's the problem. You can't get them paid for because it's yeah. only approved for what we call post-herpetic neuralgia, where the, the after having um, shingles, your nerve endings are irritated. Right. But it's really good. I've had a lot of patients get very well. And you can try the Icy Hat with Lidocaine Patch. It's over the counter, and for some of my patients, it works well. Another thing that works is a gel that you rub on your back four times a day. It's called Diclofenac, or Voltaren is the brand name. Talk to your doctor about that. That should not also interfere with your Coumadin level.
1: Elizabeth, thank you. Okay.
2: You have a great day. Thanks Uh for calling.
1: We're live at the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills. Come on, stop out and see us, or stop out anytime this afternoon and enjoy the wine festival with, obviously, live entertainment, live and loud entertainment, depending on where you're placed, um, and, of course, wine tasting. We're here to help you get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. And there is a nurse who went online and just just absolutely talked about flu vaccines,
2: telling people... got to get them. I, I wouldn't get as mad as she did because I think a lot of people have misinformation about the flu vaccine. First of all, the flu vaccine will not give you the flu. If you've had the flu, right. it's not what most people think it is. It is a very serious illness where you get muscle aches, you get high fevers, you. you get a dry hacking cough. The thing about the flu shot is it causes an immune reaction. So, yes, you can get a low-grade fever. Yes, you can get redness and swelling. Right, but it's not caused by the flu shot. You cannot get the flu right. from a flu shot.
1: All right, let me get well, let me get on the line with Tammy. Tammy, who called in. Hi, Tammy. How are you? Tammy, you're on Heart Health Radio. Welcome. Thank you.
2: Are, are you there?
1: Well, it could be that Tammy got disconnected. It's oh happened boy. to me. A time well, or Tammy,
2: two. if you're listening, you got disconnected. Yeah, all
1: it? Happened. All right, let's talk about um, the flu vaccine myths. Yeah. One is that you can get it, but there's there are other myths that are just untrue.
2: Well, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not possible to get what we call the stomach flu from a flu vaccine. Okay. And I'm not so sure that people aren't so worried about having a reaction to the flu yeah. vaccine, that they don't get nausea, they don't get stomach upset. But you can get a regular virus that can cause a gastroenteritis but it's not caused by the flu sometimes vaccine. I,
1: I have to tell you I, sometimes after i've gotten a shot of any type any sort of vaccine i feel punky yeah now that's just because my body's been insulted by a needle well and the flu vaccine needled in a tiny one
2: yeah and the, the thing that you have to remember is that you want to have an immune reaction what is an immune reaction it's developing an antibody against this particular flu vaccine right. now if you had a flu shot last year yeah it doesn't work every year yeah. there's a different strain of flu right and the problem is they have to guess what that strain is going to be the next year based on guess what what's happening in australia see australia is in the southern yeah. hemisphere So they're sort of at the opposite. They get their flu vaccine based on what they had the year before or what they expect. So we have somewhat of an idea because we go down to Down Under, find out what their strains are. And remember, now we have airplanes that transport people across the world. And so we get prepared. This year, we haven't had enough information to know how effective the flu vaccine is going to be. But I don't care. Get it it's 70, 80% effective, right. it's still going to keep you from getting sick because the flu is terrible. And if you have a weakened immune system, if you have problems with your heart, it can kill you. Now, how can the flu kill you? By increasing the amount of inflammation in your body, that will break open the cholesterol buildup in the arteries to the heart, cause them to form a clot and cause a heart attack. So for my patients, I tell them, you don't want to get the flu. The right. flu can kill you. Even just the flu itself. Sure. And some people can cause their lungs to fill up with fluid, and they can't get any oxygen, yeah. and they yeah. die.
1: How about that other, the other shot for uh, pneumonia?
2: It's really important to get yeah. that too. Okay. Now, it doesn't prevent all types of pneumonia. It prevents pneumonia caused by the, the streptococcus type of bacteria. There's like 23 of them. Yeah. And it prevents you from getting that type of pneumonia. It's most important for elderly people. Sure. Because their immune systems can be weakened over time. And this type of pneumococcal pneumonia can be fatal. And not only fatal, but sure. also make them really sick for a long period of time. All right. I recommend
1: it. Now let's, turn the, let's turn the page and talk about a guy who... We, we disagree totally about the, the attitude about this story. This fellow... Got drunk without drinking. Absolutely. Now, people are going to think you saved this story just for this, you know, the wine festival. wine festival. No, no, no.
2: This came up this week. Now, could you imagine if you ate a Twinkie yes. and you got drunk? No. Now, nobody would believe this. So he was driving along. It yeah. had some carbs, okay? I don't know. They don't say whether it was Pringles or Twinkies. Yeah. But he got pulled over because he was kind of weaving along. Yeah. And he took a breathalyzer, and it was off the charts. <laughs> and they didn't believe that he wasn't drinking, so they put him in jail. Yes. Well, they did it again. He ate some Pringles, and he blew a point four. if you know what that means. That's pretty good. So he went to a university, Richmond University, where he got... A, a special series of tests on his gut. <laughs> and he has brewer's yeast growing in his stomach and his wow. small intestine. Now, what's brewer's oh, hold, yeast? I gotta interrupt for a second. Yeah. You said 0. 0.4. Yeah. Post 4? 0.4. 40% alcohol yes. in his blood. Okay. He was about okay. to kill over I wanted dead. to make sure that I was hearing it. And him. he
1: was dry. Could, couldn't you have sold that blood only with permission of the ABC store?
2: Probably. I yeah. think, think you need right. a license to drive around with that kind of blood. Yeah. So he has brewer's yeast. It, it, for some reason, his immune system let yeast grow in his belly. Yeah.
1: yeah. So he,
2: and so how does wine get alcohol? You put the carbohydrate in. Yeah. You put the brewer's yeast. Same thing with beer. And that brewer's yeast converts it to alcohol.
1: Now, Dr. Weefall calls this a bad thing.
2: I think this is great. Well, I guess. You save yourself all this money on... I guess what you can do is take two brewer's yeast and a Twinkie, and you're off to the races. Yeah.
1: I mean, all the money I'm saving on beer would be spent on Twinkies. So,
2: I don't know if you can actually do this, because this guy's brewer's yeast was living and thriving in his gut. So, maybe there was something that caused it to turn on. Yeah. Okay? But, I don't know. Okay. Don't try this at home. Don't. Because, you don't. know, the yeast, you can buy brewer's yeast. People have homegrown beer. What? I tried it once. Yeah. It was terrible.
1: Well, my neighbor makes some good beer, but, you know, a lot of people who like to make beer experiment too hard, like they say, well, you know, I want to make an IPA, but I want it stronger than before. Uh, the, the other stuff I buy in the store, and that... What they do is they kill the recipe. Yeah. they just totally kill it. Well,
2: mine got my beer be got stuck in the carbonation phase. It never carbonated. Never
1: carbonated. Yeah,
2: it's, it was pretty you're tasty, a, but it was flat beer. You're a scientist, and you didn't. I right, Beer properly. I followed the instructions. I call them destruction. I yeah. followed. Them. You did. It didn't work. All right. Didn't.
1: We're at the wine festival, the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills. Dave Alexander. Franklin Weefald, Dr. Franklin Weefald on Heart Health Radio, on the Heart Health Radio Network. Now, we've got a couple of things that are coming up in the last little bit. Uh, do we have a shout-out? Yes, we do. We do have a shout-out. We also have a question. When are you taking your blood pressure medicine? What time of day? Does it matter? I don't think it should. It does. But apparently it does. It you know, does. The guy who went to medical school says it does, and we'll explain why in just a moment on Heart Health Radio. Well,
3: You know you make me wanna Don't kick my heels up and down my head.
1: This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. I'm Dave Alexander. He is Dr. Franklin Weifald and we are broadcasting at the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills and Shorty is on the line. Let's give a shout out to Shorty. Shorty, how's Shorty? your knee?
3: How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Doing good.
1: good.
2: What's happening?
3: I, I'm old, I'm old, I'm old, I'm
2: old. What are you talking about? You're not old.
3: I'm, She's I'm, the no, same I'm old. old. I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I
2: know that. She's the same young. I want to add on the, on the, on the wine, wine. Yes. You told
3: me, you told to, me to drink, drink, drink uh, uh, four red wine tonight. Also, hmm. also, I, I have, have four, four ounce of, of white, wine, white wine at dinner. At dinner.
2: Well, okay. you drink white wine? No, no, no. So, so. <laughs> well, you don't drink any wine. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Red wine. Okay, you're you're not a teetotaler. Well, I still say that most of the evidence for um, health benefits comes from red wine because it's the skins that contain resveratrol, and it seems to be the resveratrol that has all the healthful benefits.
1: I have to tell you, shorty, if you're measuring four ounces correctly. You're not having much. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm that's, not. that's, that's I a very small amount.
2: Yeah, and you know, a glass of wine is about usually six ounces. Yeah, and I think that you can you can bump yourself up if you want to. I mean, I don't know, Shorty. <laughs> I've never seen you intoxicated. What do you like when you're intoxicated,
3: <laughs> Shorty? The worst you you know, preferably.
1: She's already got her knee problems. She doesn't need to well, fall. the knee and break is much out. better
2: yeah. now, isn't it? Oh my
3: knee, oh, my knee is wonderful.
2: wonderful! And is you're it? exercising and getting I'm along doing husband, and I'm doing all the walking, stuff you want to do. Driving, driving
3: all the all the good, all the good, good.
2: stuff. Yeah, and you haven't places. had any more. Uh, I'm uh, or,
3: or, have, yeah. have, I'm, you haven't I'm had any more atrial fibrillation, have you? I'm looking, I'm at looking at it. How is your
1: AFib? Have you had any heart issues?
2: Not late, not lately. Not lately, good. Well, you're you're one of my one of my favorite patients. It took me the longest time to remember that she was shorty. Four, ten, four, she not short? hey, shorty, how tall are you?
3: Five, five.
2: Well, I still say that, four that Shorty really, is really not
3: four, four eleven. That's
1: not hmm. short.
2: That's not too bad. All right, I've got friends who are four foot five. Oh, shorty, oh. bless you. Thank you for calling. Have a a great day. day. And now,
3: and
1: now but All right. We'll see you. Well, he will. I won't see him. Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. I'm Dave Alexander. We were going to talk about this whole idea of... Do you have another shout-out?
2: I have a shout-out. You do. I'm sorry. And, you know, one of the things I I sort of kick myself for is I've never shouted out this before. But if my staff is listening and you know <laughs> I, I, they don't listen too much come on I want to shout out my staff yeah. um, most of these people are extremely um, friendly in fact all of them are hard working yeah. and one of the things that I think doctors will tell you is that if they don't have a good staff they don't have a good practice Right. so you know one of the things that I, I've talked about and, and just told them time and time again is that They're responsible for trying to save lives just as much as I am. If they can get them relaxed when they first check in, if they can have them relaxed when we, um, uh, you know, take their vital signs and and get their medication list, if we can do all the things right in scheduling their tests, then my staff is helping them almost as much as I am. So shout out to my entire staff. I've got... 13 people. I'm not going to mention all their names, so I probably will mention them one by one yeah. when I talk about my employees of the month. And we're going to do that once a month. We'll have them, uh, hopefully they'll be uh, uh, brave enough to be on the air like so it. we can talk to them. I like it. But shout out to my staff at Millennia Cardiovascular. All
1: right. I'm going to shout out to my GP. you got to remember, one of the major rules on this show is you really don't do anything even based on Dr. Franklin Weefault's advice, you don't do anything. Don't make a major change unless you talk to your actual doctor. because
2: right, I'm just giving information.
1: Right, you're just throwing it out there. Use that information to talk to your own doctor. After the show last week, really Saturday night into Sunday morning, I just flat out felt like I had the flu. I never developed the fever, never developed anything that was high, but they took me in at Fuquay. Uh, family Medicine, uh, Fuquay free free Family Practice, and I saw Dr. Devente, and he just understood, you know, you, you got half of what could qualify as the flu, but you don't have the flu. Did he do the death swab? Yep, he, he did, did, the swab. did the We yeah. did the nose swab. They did the nose swab. They did a blood test, and, the, oh, and the chest x-ray.
2: Yeah. Now, you, let me tell you something. You, you called him a GP, yeah, a general okay. practitioner. You yeah. want to know something? Well I love that term. So do I. See, I am an old-fashioned kind of guy, even though I feel like I'm about 15 years old at times. But I don't mind saying that someone's a family practitioner. Right. But in my mind, they're the unsung hero, because they've got to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so the concept that there's something wrong with oh. calling somebody a general practitioner, I mean, they are knowledgeable. Uh-huh. in just about everything, and I love it. So if I were going to medical school today and I decided to go into what they call family practice now, right, I would call myself a general practitioner.
1: I have a son-in-law who is going to the Brody School of Medicine. You're kidding. And I'm not kidding. That's I'm a not-
2: fantastic place.
1: A fantastic school at uh, ECU. Yeah. He's, he's very close to the point of being an uh, intern. Uh-huh. Like he said, he's finished yeah. with his it's third a year. year. After, yeah. He's going to be an intern uh, getting interviews right now. It's an exciting time for it him is. trying to figure out where he's going to be. Um, and that's what he's looking at. He's looking at that. He's looking at labor and delivery um, and uh, two areas that
2: they know a bit about. Yeah. OBGYN yeah. is a wonderful yeah. um uh, practice you know they're now doing primary care for women too i mean they're doing all the things yeah. because women want to have one doctor i'm not so sure that um, there might not be some extra training but they're doing that yeah within the obgyn residency and you know what else could be more happy than delivering a baby for somebody
1: yeah you well, know and to li- uh, how about this to have delivered a baby with a woman who you already know and had a relationship with think of you know you you understand what i'm saying the doctor is looking at that from a perspective sometimes the the fellas who delivered my three daughters by the way i almost was one of those fellas Uh because the doctor was in the hallway and my wife saying it's coming
2: here it is
1: um we didn't know We knew him sort of. We yeah. visited a few weeks, but yeah. you know, it wasn't a long-term Was it a group
2: plan? where you saw one doctor yeah. one time, one yeah. doctor the other time? Yeah.
1: That's hard. That's hard. That's All hard. right. You and I both take blood pressure medicine. When in the day do you take yours?
2: I take mine before I go to bed. Am I supposed to do that? Well, let me tell you. The, the data were... This is a very good study because it followed people prospectively. They followed people when they started the study and followed them through time. Now, 45% lower risk of a cardiac event if you took your blood pressure medicine, at least one of them, yeah. at bedtime. Many people are on multiple medications. Why is this? People don't realize that waking up is hard to do for your body. <laughs> I mean, breaking up is hard to do, but waking up is hard to do. got <laughs> yeah. Neil Sadatka in my yeah. head. Yeah, Now, why is that? Because you have to get from a state of somnolence and rest and yeah. everything's, you know, sort of... Under control to waking up. So what happens? If you generally wake up at 6 a.m., about 4 a.m., your adrenal glands start pouring out adrenaline, which is the stress hormone, and cortisol. Now, what can they do? They can constrict your arteries. They can make your heart beat harder. So especially what's called a beta blocker, because these beta blockers are good blood pressure medicines, and they prevent the effects of adrenaline from harming your body. So I've been saying this for years. Give your at least one of your major blood pressure medications before you go to bed. Yes. Most heart attacks occur what time? I'll give you three choices. I don't know. 10 a.m., Yeah. 3 p.m., or 10 p.m. Sales meeting. <laughs> I have no idea. When? It's about 10 a.m. 10 a.m. And why okay. is that? Because the damage done starts at 4 a.m. when the adrenaline starts firing up. Yeah. When the cortisol starts firing up, the arteries constrict. Yeah. That cholesterol plaque, we call it the buildup. Begins to form a clot, okay. and by six hours later, it's a full blown heart attack.
1: All right, let's do this. We've got about two minutes left in the show. I want to, I want to make a pile of pills because I've got a pile of pills. All right, let's I've talk got, about
2: what you take. You want what to?
1: What can I? No, what can I take with that? Because I take Lisinopril. That's okay. the blood pressure yeah. medicine. Okay. Can I take my statin at night?
2: Yes. Okay. The best time take my to take st- a statin is supper because supper. that prevents the the production of cholesterol by the liver.
1: All right. So blood pressure medicine. Statin. I take something else in addition you to take support a beta my blocker, heart.
2: Metoprolol. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. That's okay. It. So what I would recommend is to take your metoprolol at bedtime. Bedtime. But check with your family doctor. He right. may or your GP. He yeah, may yeah, have yeah, a yeah. reason why act. you're not. Yeah, right. call him up. I'm going to call him. And up. then you know the losinperol. That's okay to take during the day. If someone a hypothetical patient. Yeah. What I would tell them is that go ahead and take your losinperol in the morning, and take your beta or your metoprolol at bedtime to prevent the harmful effects of your body's using adrenaline and cortisol to wake you up.
1: Baby aspirin. Uh, okay to take any time? Anytime, because anytime. Anytime, it's going to stay in my system anyway. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. All you right. know, we can't call it baby aspirin anymore, because you can't give it to babies. You're
1: right. You're right. And well,
2: coated aspirin, 81 milligrams.
1: Guess what? We did it again. Another... Are we done? Yeah, we no are. No way. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Thank you for everything, including uh, listening to us from the North Carolina Wine Festival at North Hills.
0: The proceeding was meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action on what was just discussed, consult your medical doctor.